As of late, Rust Belt America has been portrayed as a mob of single-minded Trump supporters. Trump-obsessed grotesques, but with today's script rock bottom, UTR returner Mark Blecka pushes back to bring the odd humanity and comedy to that world. So stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movie. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UTR here on the Unproduced Table Read on the Popcorn Talk Network. Guys, my name is Jeff. If this is your first time tuning in, this is a show where we read Hollywood's hottest unproduced pilots and features. Today, as I mentioned, we have a veteran returner coming to studio. Mark, we're so excited to have you. Thank you for coming back. Um, We're reading your hilarious comedy pilot called Rock Bottom. We're going to get more into the specifics of that script um, in just a little bit. But before we do that, I'm, of course, surrounded by a group of brilliant actors. Tim, bring us in. What's up, guys? My name is Timothy Michael, um, and today I will be playing Kirk. Hey, guys. I'm Roxy Strari. You can find me over at Roxy Strari. I'll be reading for Mags, Tiffany, Dominic, and woman number one. Hey, guys. I'm Adrian Snow. You can follow me on that. Never mind. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrian Snow. I'll be reading for Andy among others. We've been making some production changes here at the yes, network, yeah. and I feel like we're a bit in our head today, but it's all good. Yeah. What just happened? Okay. Uh, hello, I'm Haley O'Connor. Today I am reading Barry McCreary, Taylor, Brenda, Oscar, and Stoner Teen Clerk. Woo! And uh, I am Hudson Miller, and I am reading Gary, Brian, and the Rock DJ among others. Um, yeah, so as you guys probably heard, there's a lot of um, interesting character names in there, so we're so excited to get into it. And that being said, Mark, first of all, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. We actually, our second show of all time on this podcast was with Mark, so this is actually our 46th show, so wow. we've, we've, uh, we've made some moves, guys, and it's, it's good to have you back. Um, what, I, what we like to do, Mark, is sort of have you give us an intro into the world we'll be entering today, maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds, just to orient our audience. Okay, uh, the world, it's, a, it's, a, it's called Rock Bottom. It's about a town called Rockford, Illinois, which uh, in 1949, uh, Time Magazine named the quintessential American manufacturing town, kind of place where uh, the American dream really happens. And then 1995, for the next 15 years, uh, it had deteriorated to the point where Money Magazine named it the worst place to live in America hmm. for 15 years in a row. And it was up to you know, 17, 18, 19, 20% unemployment. So it's kind of a look at those, you know, it's it, those Rust Belt cities, those Rust Belt towns that have really, you know, kind of fallen apart, and maybe haven't got, we got kind of different kind of attention, but maybe look that we haven't seen into those a little bit, and you know, it could be, you know, it could be Gary, Indiana, it could be, it could be Flint, it could be Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah, it's just a story like, uh, you know, look at those towns and the way they kind of collapsed, and uh, you know, that's about it. Cool. You don't see much of it, I don't. So. What's so interesting is hearing a pitch like that, you sort of expect it to be this kind of serious, yeah. you know, investigation <laughs> of poor America. But and that's what it, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Um, so I'll really be excited to talk about what you're doing here tonally. But before we do that, we got to read it. Um, so <laughs> let's get into it, guys. This is Mark Blecka's comedy pilot, Rock Bottom. And I'm going to turn this first page. Yeah. <laughs> Exterior Kirk's Winnebago Day, Super Rockford, Illinois, 1995. A 1969 Camaro with the license plate that reads Panama is parked in front of a wheelless Winnebago on blocks in the backyard of a Midwestern working class house. Screws, man. They hold everything together. Once upon a time, Rockford was known as the screw capital of the world. Kirk Sanderson, 31, handsome with a shabby nobility, exits the Winnie with a hockey bag over his shoulder. Made more screws here than anywhere on earth. 
He throws the bag in the trunk, gets behind the wheel, and puts the keys in the ignition. He turns them over, and exterior streets, Rockford Day. Panama's engine roars like a lion as Kirk motors through the rotting skeleton of the once mighty Rust Belt City. Decline is ubiquitous. Shut down factories, boarded up homes, closed stores. Screws that held our factories together. Screws that held the roofs over our heads. Screws that won wars. Not anymore. Now we're just plain screwed. Maybe it's time to heed the words of the finest rock poets to ever roll off these streets. From better days, ladies and gentlemen, Cheap Trick. Uh, Song, Cheap cheap Trick Surrender plays over the radio. Exterior, Route 20, on-ramp, day. Kirk shows off Panama's prowess as he leaves the city and races down the highway. Exterior, meatpacking plant, front gate, day. Kirk pulls up to a meatpacking plant just off the interstate where a PETA protest is going on at the front gate. Signs like, it's a, it's sea biscuit, not sea brisket, <laughs> plus the presence of an actual horse, suggests their cause is equine-related. Confused, Kirk honks as he maneuvers through them and the song fades down on the radio. Exterior meatpacking plant parking lot moments later. Kirk parks next to a rusty 85 Buick Century with the hood up. Ronnie Mags Magner, 31, glasses, feathered hair, Rush 2012 T, stands over the engine. Kirk gets out and nods toward the protesters as he approaches. What's this pony and pony show? Kirk leads in to inspect the engine. Apparently some folks frown upon the slaughtering of horses for human consumption. Slaughtering horses. Mug shrugs and, um, yeah. For people to eat. With their mouths. Kirk gets down and shimmies under the car. Was out of work for 13 months after the furniture mill left? At this point, I'd butcher the Muppets if someone paid me. Do that, Elmo, too. Dude, Elmo's a three-year-old. Ever heard of eel? Not made out of sentient toddlers. <laughs> Some of us have to make hard choices. Not everyone has two years of college to fall back on, Kirk. Okay, it was three semesters. Don't exactly give out diplomas for... Well, it's, it's your catalytic converter. What's wrong with it? Kirk slides out from under the car. Main issue? It's not there. Are you... I can't... Fuck. Mags. How am I supposed to get out of here? 40-mile round trip, 500 people applied for this gig, non-union, they'll just call one of them. Drop me like that. I know most of the guys who deal in used parts. You mean stolen parts? Whatever their origin, I can find one. Got inventory left over from the shop I can trade. Won't cost you a thing. It's not the money, man. Well, it's a little bit the money, but... I mean, what the hell is happening to this town? Natifa... The Chinese? Fucking Ikea? Shit, I don't know. Socioeconomics is a fourth semester class. What I do know is we got a hockey game in 30, so get your ass in gear and grab yours. Hmm. Interior, exterior, Camaro parking lot moments later. They pull into a line of cars heading out of the lot. The procession is slowed by the protesters up at the gate. How'd the races go last night? One five bills. Crushed Daryl in the final. SOB was so pissed, thought he was going to stroke out. Mag takes in Panama. How much you got in this puppy? All of it. All the money. <laughs> but if people are desperate enough to swipe shit off my rust bucket... You drive a Buick Century. Parts of that fit every GM car in the country. Basically begging to get lifted. Only an idiot would steal Panama. She's one of a kind. A totally unique work of art. Be like stealing a Picasso and hanging it on your front door for everyone to see. Suddenly, a protester on horseback blocks their path as they arrive at the gate. Kirk hits the brakes. This is not lunch. This is Glenn. He has a name and a face. <laughs> the horse stares at Kirk, who points at Mags. Don't look at me, Glenn. Dahmer Jr. here is the man you're after. <laughs> the horse turns to Mags, who can't meet its gaze. Interior, Camaro, morning, moments later. Kirk and Mags cruise back down Route 20. I think I like killing horses. One would hope not, Ronald. Laugh it up. Think you have an eaten horse? 
Everyone's eating horse, eating all kind of creepy shit they thought was chicken or beef or... I'm talking dog, cat, bat, badger, beaver. Every chance I get. <laughs> Interior Camaro ice rink parking lot later. Max continues his litany as they pull into a rundown indoor ice rink. Rat, muskrat, manatee. As they park in front of a faded and peeling mural of a happy family at play. Something in the lot draws Kirk's displeasure. Gotta be fucking kidding me. Mags thinks he's talking about eating manatee. Mm, you wish I was. <laughs> Kirk gets out in a huff and heads for the Schwartz twins. 20s, fraternal. Barry, tall and lanky, and Gary, short and round. They're a little bit country and a way bit off-center. Gary stands before a beat-up 80s conversion van with a goalie stick in hand. He wears an empty case of of Schlitz on his head in lieu of a mask. Barry and teammates drink tall boys and half-heartedly shoot empties at him. Barry, Gary... No, this game's for a playoff berth. <laughs> the captain's right, boys. Big tilt. They slam their beers and fire the empties in rapid succession at Gary, who does an eerily impressive job kick-saving and blockering them. Kirk shakes his head in dismay as Ma- as Mags sidles up beside them. Possum. <laughs> Interior ice rink day. The Rockford Rolls take on their rivals from nearby Beloit, Wisconsin, in a regional beer league game. On the bench, Kirk and Mags view the action between shifts. Oh, possum. Oh, possibly done yet. Bam, bam. Barry gets leveled in front of them by McCreary, a Beloit player of whom we only catch a glimpse. Oh, fuck you, McCreary, you goon. Your ass is grass when I get out of there, McCreary. Grass. They sit down and calmly go right back into their convo. Human? Well, line drawn, I have not eaten human. You've eaten human. No, for a fact you've eaten human. When? You were a judge at Sausage Fest when Gooch won. That, what kind did he make? Polish. And who was into Gooch's book for 20 G's he couldn't cover? Jimmy Poleski? Last time anyone saw Jimmy Poleski? Right before Sausage Fest. But that doesn't mean, like... And how'd that Polish taste? (laughs) Delicious. It was... Best goddamn sausage of your life? Of course it was. Nothing tastes as sweet as the meat of human. (laughs) Been craving it ever since, haven't you? No. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Yet Gooch hasn't made another single link of that award-winning in case delight. Wonder why? Maybe because he ran out of Jimmy Pulaski. <laughs> Him being a finite resource and all. Bam. Barry gets crumpled into the ice by another huge check into the boards. Damn you, McCreary. I'll send you back to Beloit in a box, you animal. Try that shit with me, McCreary. <laughs> Kirk pulls Barry up by the collar and yanks him in close. Jesus, Barry. McCreary's using you ass for sport. Yeah, I got a few licks in. Sport fucked? You're being sport-fucked up and down the ice. Seriously gonna let that wheel of Limburger come down here and ragdoll you all over our house? You know what you gotta do. Barry, pumped, throws his gloves off and charges back out. McCreary! We stay with Kirks and Mags. No mercy. Escape of blood. The sparse crowd cheers. The crack of a fist hitting a face echoes out and the crowd oohs. Kirk and Mags wince. Oof. McCreary is one tough mother. Especially for an actual mother. Mm. At center ice, McCreary, who is a woman, stands triumphant with fists raised over Barry. He's out cold with a big red wall over his eyes. Who else wants a piece? No one. No one wants a piece. <laughs> On the bench, back to Kirk and Mags. Average human eats 6.2 pounds of human a year. Exterior ice rink parking lot day. The rules just pulled out of an OT win. As they exit to the lot, Kirk, Mags, Barry, and the team sing Gary's praises for his stellar goalkeeping in the form of the Gummy Bears theme. Gary, Gary Bear, bouncing here and there and everywhere, making saves beyond compare. He is a Gary Bear. He is a Gary Bear. 
The Brie takes exception to this as they board their bus. Bullshit win. Just like your entire roster is bullshit, except for the Pillsbury gold boy, who should not be that nimble. <laughs> Gary starts to shimmy to show off said nimbleness. But he is. And we're riding this buttermilk biscuit all the way to the title, because he's... Gary Bear, bouncing here and there and everywhere, making sense. The team keeps singing as Kirk gives McCreary a smirk and makes for his car. The smirk turns to terror when he sees nothing but the faded family mural where Panama should be parked. Pa- Panama? He frantically looks around as he tries to process what's happened. His eyes settle on McCreary. Don't look at me, Flatlander. I only fucking firebirds. <laughs> Exterior ice rink day later. Officer Andrea Kozel, 30s, stocky. Morally ambiguous. Takes Kirk's statement. <laughs> Gary and Barry drink beers by their van in the background. The eagle have any enemies who might want to harm it? Not well, she has taken a few scalps at the speedway. There's just one guy who Andy I... Andy catches sight of Gary and Barry, who now hold shotguns. What the hell are you two doing? I'm <laughs> gonna drink this case of beer, then go shoot these guns in the woods. And when is zero hour for this little admission? Barry looks at his watch. Mm, about 13 beers. <laughs> I get off of nine beers. I'll join you. <laughs> Going on record that in a lifetime of terrible ideas, this is officially your worst. Nah, we've had worse. Yeah, bees cannot be housebroken. <laughs> they both shudder at the memory of the bees. Barry, it doesn't matter what happens to you, but we need Gary and Ned, so do not shoot your brother. Don't shoot my brother. Got it. Andy hands a carbon sheet from her report to Kirk. For insurance. I'm gonna want to file right away. Not one of them jokers that only has collision, are you? <laughs> kind of asshole only has collision. <laughs> Interior State Farm office later. Kirk sits across from Brian. 30s, khakis, buttoned down. A nice guy, but basically beige in human form. Look, any wiggle room on that? Uh, nope, you only got collision. <laughs> Why the hell did you let me do that? I uh, strongly advised against it, but you said something about uh, work or, uh, art of Picasso. Doesn't ring a bell. Brian gives an honest, hmm, I could have been mistaken, but then checks his file and reads, uh, Only an idiot would steal Panama. She's one of a kind, a totally... <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Always been an avid note-taker. What if... Okay. What if I were to pay you now for what I would have paid for full coverage over the last year? So it would look like you've been covered the entire time and thereby eligible to file a claim? Yes. No. Why not? <laughs> it's a crime. But... Is it really? Most definitely. According to who? Well, the state of Illinois and the 49 other ones, too. I can't speak for Guam, Puerto Rico, though. I'm looking at a total loss here. Well, not a total one. Kirk perks up with hope. You always have the memories of the cherished times you spent together. What are you? (laughs) About to be late for lunch. Uh, Can I give you a lift home? (laughs) Exterior, Debbie Sanderson's house day. Note, Kirk leaves in a Winnebago behind his mom's... Kirk lives in a Winnebago behind his mom's house, which is right next door to his ex-wife's house, where she and his daughter live. As they pull into the drive, Debbie Sanderson, 31, pretty jeans and t-shirt type, not one for bullshit, waves from the porch. Don't tell Debbie about the theft coverage. That uh, kind of puts me in an awkward position what with me dating her. You dating my ex-wife is an awkward position for everyone, but right now, I need time to sort stuff. Are you invoking agent-client privilege? That's a thing? It is. Okay, then I invoke it. <laughs> they get out. Brian has a bottle of wine. Debbie approaches, surprise, surprised to see them together. Oh, hey, where's Panama? I'm uh, not at liberty to discuss that. <laughs> Debbie finds that a bit weird, but gives him a little kiss. She's missing, but it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Your daughter is getting her braces next month. Doesn't needing Panama to make the money to pay for them kind of make it a big deal? It's fine. Good idea who has her. Can I get a sec to finish with them? She looks to Brian, who can only shrug. 
agent-client privilege. That's a thing? It is. It is. <laughs> she grabs the wine and heads in. Just then, a car pulls up and she drops off Taylor Sanderson, 13, and a tomboy. She waves to Kirk and Brian. Did you win, Dad? <laughs> you know we... He stops, in su- he stops in surprise when he notices she's wearing a Brett Favre jersey. Did what are you wearing here? A Brett Favre jersey. <laughs> See that? Where, where did it come from? Brian got it for me. Brian affirms this with a proud nod. Kirk is nonplussed by this, but doesn't want to show conflict in front of his daughter, so he forces an, oh, he did, did he? Smile. Day trip to Milwaukee to catch the brew crew, and we hit up the brat shop, and on the way back, had loads of them. But, but we're a Bears family, sweetie. Always have been, always will be. Oh, he's way better than anyone on the Bears. No, he's not. <laughs> well, yeah, he is. But but being a fan is, is kind of like a religion. You don't get to choose. You you are what your parents are, and if that means suffering a few years of a, or a lifetime of soul-crushing disappointment, then so be it. It's character building. It's crazy. Probably, but I'm still going to need you to take off the jersey. And that's crazy. Probably, but no child of mine is going to be a bandwagoner, especially for that team. It's just a jersey. It's treason. Kirk turns to Brian. Thanks, man. Should I uh, not have done that? You violated father-daughter football privilege. (laughs) That's a thing? It is not, but it should be. (laughs) I didn't mean to cause any problems. I know. Just that I promised to get her a Bears jersey for her birthday. But her birthday was last month. Kirk gives an exactly look out his out gives I'm gonna take that again. <laughs> Kirk gives an exactly look just as an angry Debbie stalks back out of the house. What the hell is wrong with you? Everything? Oh no. This isn't a joke. Your daughter is upset. I'm gonna give you guys a divorce people some space. <laughs> <laughs> Brian heads inside, leaving Kirk and Debbie to it. I'm not the one who let a Packers jersey into the house on their watch. Okay. My watch? You live in a Winnebago behind your mom's place. It's 12 feet away. You're, home's mo- you're home more than I am. Oh, okay. There it is. This is about me losing the shop and not being able to find anything else, isn't it? About not being able to afford the present she wanted, which means I'm going to have a hell of a time popping for those braces, aren't I? So you're telling me that's what this is about? No. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Do I need to be nervous? I'll figure something out. I always do. Fucking Favre. <laughs> and I'm going to go track down Panama, the... The bike's still in the garage? Yeah, but Dennis is in there. You wake him up and he's going to be crabby all day. He starts up the drive. Screw Dennis. Exterior Kirk's backyard moments later. Kirk heads past his mom, Brenda's, 50s, bathrobe, who smokes cigs and drinks beer at the patio table. She holds up a box of generic Raisin Bran. What's this? The Raisin Bran you asked me to get? This isn't the kind I eat. It's the kind you... That was on sale, Mom. So, yeah, it is. They're all the same. <laughs> no, they're not. It has raisin. It has bran. It's raisin bran. Uh, it doesn't have two scoops. Two scoops? Two scoops. Two. The scoop, Ma. The scoop is not a unit of measurement. Two scoops doesn't actually mean anything. It's an ad slogan. There's no universal scoop that they're, own, they're using two of, that their competition is using less than two of. It's a lie. <laughs> I can taste the difference. And so is that. <laughs> Annoyed, Kirk heads for the garage. You're going to wake up Dennis. Screw Dennis. Interior garage moments later, Kirk slowly pops his head in the side door and whispers, Dennis. Dennis. Nothing. The place is cluttered with all kinds of car parts. He scouts his way through it until he spies what he's looking for. An old 1979 Honda Cub. The moped-esque motorbike is half hidden behind a stack of ceramic brakes still in their boxes. Kirk grabs the bike and heads out, but stops short when he sees Dennis. A giant raccoon and an aggressive stance blocking the door. 
Kirk tries to play it cool. Tennis! <laughs> Looking well. The raccoon hisses at him menacingly. All right, right to 11 from Jump Street, huh? Hiss. Dennis isn't having it, and neither is Kirk. You know what? Screw you, trash panda. Sick of this shit. This is my garage. You don't make the rules. <laughs> Dennis charges. Exterior garage, same time. The clacks and clangs of serious Donnybrook are joined by hisses, growls, and screeches. Some man, some beast. <laughs> Finally, the door flies open and a disheveled Kirk emerges with the cub. Why you gotta be such a dick, Dennis? <laughs> <laughs> Brenda cackles as she tokes on her menthol. Stop feeding the raccoon, Ma. He's the size of a grizzly, gonna kill us all. We should be so lucky. <laughs> Kirk heads down the drive. We stay on Brenda as she pours the raisin bran into a bowl at her feet labeled Dennis. <laughs> Exterior streets day. Kirk rides through Rockford on the cub. He stops at a red and is face-to-face with his boarded-up shop. Sons of Sander, custom auto. The light changes, but lost in thought, Kirk stares until a honk sends him on his way. He rolls up the road and into... Exterior... Uh, how would I pronounce that? Quisenberry. Quisenberry. <laughs> thank you. Exterior Quisenberry Pontiac dealership continuous. Behind reception, Tiffany Quisenberry, 20s, cute, waves at Kirk with a smile through the window. His wave back is interrupted by her, her crew-cutted Vietnam veteran dad, Daryl, 50s. Holy shit, Sanderson. You must have taken the mother of all wrong turns. Must be the most, uh, must be the most lost fucking history of the... Fucks being lost. And that includes those fucks from <clears throat> Lost in Space who were lost in fucking space, which is a pretty big fucking place to be lost in, seeing as it's fucking space. Save it, Daryl. Because <laughs> that's got to be the only, only explanation of what it, that Tokyo tin can is doing here on hallowed ground of American motoring. <laughs> exactly what part of Remember Pearl Harbor don't you remember? Is that the remember part? Where's Panama? What are you talking about? How she blew your doors off last night and then just happened to vanish this morning? Hold the fucking fuck. You calling me French? Afraid, <clears throat> afraid to face me on my field of battle? Think I'd pull some shit like that? My opinion? Sure. <laughs> yeah, well, opinions are like assholes, and you are one. <laughs> Much as it pains me to say this, uh, I'll do everything in my power to help you find that car. And you do that Why? Daryl points to a 67 GTO with Mama Jamma painted on the hood. Me and Mama Jamma got a score to settle. Been dreaming of gutting that Camaro and watching her headlights go out slowly as she chokes to death on her own transmission fluid from way too long to have satisfaction. Dude. Want some advice? Does it involve insanity? Told you not to go into business with that shitbird of yours. Said he would burn you. Didn't listen. But I bet you wish you would have. So maybe you'll listen now. If you're looking for a hot car, start with people who'd steal cars, genius. It's on my to-do list. Then go do it. Get that fucking wind-up toy off my lot. Kirk salutes. He waves at Tiffany as he turns the cub to go. She waves back, and this does not go unnoticed by Daryl. Fuck was that? You making time with my daughter? Kirk simply smiles and speeds away. Interior, Mr. Taco Day. The semi-shabby taco joint has a decent crowd, including a Little League team chowing a post-game meal. Kirk steps up to the counter and orders from Oscar, a.k.a. Mr. Taco, 30s Wiley. Steak burrito with a side of my Camaro that you stole, Camaro thief. The kids gawk at this. Oscar, all smiles, placates. Ah, he's kidding, children. Mr. Taco does not steal automobiles. Mr. Taco makes tacos. <laughs> May we speak outside, sir? Exterior, Mr. Taco, out back, moments later. Kirk and Oscar, Palavar, out back. 
what, I'm automatically a car thief because I'm Mexican? You're automatically a car thief because you did three years in Joliet for Grand Theft Auto. (laughs) Your argument has logical merit. Damn right it does. But I didn't jack your ride, Holmes. Trust me, I wanted to. Had my eye on her for a long time. So damn sexy. Even broke into her once and just sat behind the wheel, (laughs) pretending it was only me, her, and the open road. Oscar works an imaginary (laughs) stick shift as he makes engine sounds. But I didn't take her. Know why? Because it'd be like stealing a Picasso and hanging it on your front door for Mm -hmm. everyone to see? No. Ball cancer. Ball cancer? Ball cancer. Came down with it in the joint. Docs took the left. Wife said she'd take the right if I ever got busted boosting again. Could be bluffing, but when you're down to one ball, can't take the risk, you know? It's a numbers game. Look. He starts to unzip his pants. Kirk holds up a stop. (laughs) Please don't. Just, if if you hear anything, no questions. Just want her back. Oscar nods. Kirk starts to go, but holds up with a thought. Know where I can get my hands on a catalytic converter? Oh, I still steal those. (laughs) What about your ball? Old lady said no more jacking cars, which I took for the whole car. She never mentioned car parts. <laughs> well, that's a fine line to hedge your last ball on. <laughs> Oscar shrugs with a, what can you do? Interior Mr. Taco Garage moments later. Oscar pulls a tarp to reveal a catalytic converter. Give you two sets of ceramic brakes for it. Still in the box. Four. Are you nuts? Pulled from the streets this very morning. Any fresher and it'd be alive. It's not a tuna. Two. Three. And I throw in the burrito pro bono. Pro bono burrito? Pro bono burrito. Right. Exterior street mm-hmm. dusk. Kirk eats a burrito as he rides down the street with the converter strapped to the back of the cub. Exterior Maggie's Tavern, backdoor night. Kirk pulls up to Maggie's Tavern and parks his bike in the rear. Margie, 60s, cool, black, pulls cases from pulls cases from a walk-in. I thought I'd be seeing you. Heard then? Dunder twins are inside. You here to get your old job back? Just some shifts if you until I find really need the work. Well, who doesn't? Not exactly doing gangbusters myself, kid. People are getting drunk at home and under bridges. A lot more now. Trolls. She ignores his attempt at humor and makes him sweat for a sec, but it's clear she's got a spot, a soft spot for him underneath. Oh, come on, then. This Michelob Black ain't gonna carry itself. Oh, you. Everybody owes me. <laughs> she piles a couple of cases into his arms. Interior Margie's Tavern night moments later. A classic, well-worn, working-class tavern. Pool, darts, juke, neon beer lights, Chicago sports memorabilia on the walls. Kirk carries the cases behind the bar, but stops cold when he sees Gary with his head and eyes bandaged in gauze. Andy and Barry are bellied up next to him. A bevy of empty shot glasses sit before them. Kirk seethes at Barry. Last thing I said to you. Don't shoot your brother. And what did you do? Exterior Woods Day flashback. (laughs) Barry, Gary, and Andy are shooting cans of beer out of the air like skeet. Barry, eyes seriously swollen now, has a shotgun. Gary stands about 10 yards away with a 12-pack under his arm. Gary tosses a beer high in the air straight above his head. Barry draws a bead on it with his bad eye. Point of view. Barry's blurry vision. He aims, aims aims for too long as the can falls back towards the ground he finally fires and bam Barry blows through the can right into Gary's face. Gary falls flat on his back and Barry and Andy freeze for a beat then I shot my brother (laughs) Interior Margie's tavern back to scene. Kirk shakes his head in disgust and Barry hangs his head in shame. You shot your brother. Sorry. Sorry? Look at him. You've literally blown away any chance we had at the championship. Just rock salt. No, it was just rock salt or it would be in the bar or have a head. They say I get my vision back in a few weeks. <laughs> I'm glad, but you're not going to be blind 
really, but playoffs start next week. At least I'll be spared the side of that ass kicking coming your way. <laughs> Chuckles, Andy. Kirk is not as amused. Don't you have something more important to be doing? She shrugs, uh, not that I can think of. My car? Mm, chasing down some leads. Only thing you're chasing is Jaeger with Jaeger. <laughs> she pushes an empty shot glass toward Kirk. Jaeger. He shakes his head in frustration and pours her another. Got an APB out. Probably won't do any good, though. Down to, like, half our regular patrols. Budget cuts. Does a shot? Don't mention the budget cut thing to anyone. Not supposed to tell the, the public. They're pretty much not being protected. I think they might figure it out. <laughs> I tell you this much. The criminals sure as hell have. Why is that funny? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> Pushes the shot glass forward. Jaeger. <laughs> Interior Margie's Tavern later. A couple hours in and the booze has taken full effect as the place gets its Saturday night groove on. Kirk moves through the crowd as he clears empties and comes upon Mags at the pool table. Mags shanks a shot. Piss. Fucking A. Got you a converter. Fucking A. <laughs> they high five, but then Kirk suddenly reel, reels in pain and reaches for his leg. Oh, Jesus. Gary, waving his goalie stick like a blind man as he uses a cane, has whacked Kirk on the shin on the way to join. Christ. To the John. Christ, Gary. Gary pays no mind and just keeps going, smacking the shit out of people all along the way. Did you tell my dad we're banging? Kirk turns to find a peeved (laughs) Tiffany, the girl from the Pontiac lot. What? No. Hold on. He actually thinks that's what's happening? Awesome. Not awesome. He's threatening to dismiss me, disown me, and dismember me in no particular order? (laughs) Just tell him the truth. We're not. I did. He won't believe me. He's completely convinced we're fucking. Would that be the worst thing in the world? Um, yeah, because you're the thing he hates most in the world. Which I've never really gotten why. Probably something to do with him being engaged to your mom when your dad knocked her up with you. Well. While he was in Vietnam. On his second tour that he signed up for. Could have come home in her to her, but he, could, he chose to stay in a war instead. A war where people shoot at you, like, all the time. They both have a point. Kirk... Resets. You know, if we're doing the time, <laughs> might as well do the crime. Oh, so if we're getting screwed, might as well screw? Oh, now you're cooking with gas. She gives him a please. He offers his most charming smile. Oh, she gives him a please. It's <laughs> <laughs> important. Yeah. He offers his most charming <laughs> smile until Margie suddenly shoves an ice bucket in his chest. Romeo, um, ice? He takes the bucket and starts to back up toward the rear door, still laying it on as he goes. Think about it, because I'm gone. Think about it, which means we'll both be thinking about it, and that's how magic happens. Feel it? You feel it? Spells are being cast, human. <laughs> she caves and laughs, and with that, his work done, he exits. Exterior Mag- Margie's Tavern, backdoor alley continuous, to find Gary pissing into the ice machine. Um, Gary... Uh, not in the bathroom, am I? You're outside. <laughs> Urinating into the ice machine. Gary pinches his stream off. I see. Well, I, I, I don't, but I do. He unpinches <laughs> the stream. Bro! Milk spilt, man. <laughs> Kirk goes to the retort, but Gary holds up a quiet finger. Boom Brothers are coming. If you listen closely, you can smell the base of their shitty techno. You're not a real blind guy. You don't have blind guy spidey senses. But then, Kirk hears it. Ever so slightly at first, then growing louder and louder. The boom, boom, boom from the 90s techno remix of Van Halen's Ain't Talking About Love. The beat draws closer until finally a black Ford Tempo with neon running lights screeches to a halt in front of them. Across the top of the windshield is a big white sticker. 
Tempo of Boom. <laughs> Dominic and Johnny, 20s, wannabe Dagos dressed like Z Car... Cavaricci models get out. The bass continues to bump as they approach until Dom presses the keychain remote, beep beep, and it stops. Ayo, Kirk Sanderson. Funny finding you here. Just the man we came to see. Want to take a beat to think about the no sense that makes? Want to take a beat to take a beat down? Don't try anything. I'm a witness. Shut up, you bag of broken dildos. Why would someone keep a bag of broken dildos? Flummoxed, Dom looks to Johnny. They gotta go somewhere, right? Yes, they do, Johnny, because they gotta go somewhere, guy. Like, cars gotta go somewhere. Say, like, a certain Camaro that people's are saying's been stolen. Tell the gooch that I... That I, I... Mr. Gucciarello. Well, tell Mr. Gucciarello we're good. Top cop in town is personally on the case. In fact, she's probably found it already, because she's... You know, that good. <laughs> Interior Margie's tavern, bathroom, same time. Andy bars into a toilet. She takes in her handiwork. Ugh, why, Mr. Jaeger, we meet again. <laughs> Exterior Margie's tavern, back door, alley, same time. Nothing to worry about. Johnny, if you loaned a guy a bunch of dough to start a business, and that business went belly up, and his only means of paying you back is from the winnings he gets from racing a car, and then said car gets snatched, would you think there's nothing to worry about? I would not, Paisan. Paisan? Your last name's O'Brien. My mom's 16th Sicilian. <laughs> Yeah, that makes you, like, one pubic hair Italian. <laughs> Johnny steps to Gary, but stops in his track when Gary wields his goalie stick like a ninja. How are you that nimble? Guy's just a natural, man. <laughs> Easy. Didn't come to rumble. Mr. Gucciarello wants to see you at his butcher shop tomorrow. Noon, understand? Kirk nods. Dom hits the remote. Beep, beep. And the techno kicks on, and the boom bros head to the, temp- uh, head to the tempo. Gary turns to Kirk. You're going to make a delicious batch of Swedish meatballs. <laughs> In much better shape than Poleski. That guy tasted fantastic. <laughs> Kirk goes to say something, but Gary holds up the quiet finger again. Panama. Panama? Panama. Suddenly we hear the growl of a stacked engine. Panama! Song cue, Van Halen, Panama. Kirk jumps on the cub and kicks it into gear. The chase is on. Exterior streets continuous. Kirk races onto the street. Panama's up ahead in the distance. He opens the throttle to give it all the cubs got. Which isn't much, but the thief doesn't know Kirk is coming, so Kirk makes up ground. He catches up to her and lunges for the door, but just as he does, the thief, whose face is never seen, notices and speeds out of reach. Panama! Kirk has no chance to match him, but the pow... To match him on power, but Panama's at the mercy of the road and traffic, and the cub can go anywhere. And it does. Between traffic, on sidewalks, through parks. Every time Panama's speed looks like it's too much, the bike's durability brings Kirk back into play, and it looks like it's gonna pay off. And it looks like it's gonna pay off when they head into downtown and the thief bangs a right into an alley without noticing the no outlet sign. Kirk skids to a halt at the mouth of it, 100 yards down the alley, facing a brick wall, sits Panama. Kirk sneers and rips toward her as fast as he can, then pop, his front tire blows. He and the cub crash to the ground, and he moans in agony, tries to get up, but he can't, and meanwhile, the thief slowly backs down the alley. Panama passes right next to Kirk. He reaches up, but it's futile. His fingers lightly trace her length as she goes by, and Kirk lays back with a sigh of defeat. Next to his head, the spinning front wheel of a cub slowly comes to a stop as the song fades out. Sticking out of it, like a cosmic fuck you, is a screw. 
Exterior streets moments later. New song, Super Tramp, Take the Long Way Home. Kirk, bruised and battered, limps the bike through town. Interior, Maggie's tavern later. It's last call. Maggie counts out tips on the bar. Andy, Gary, Barry, and Mags drink their final rounds, and Barry takes a sip of cocktail of his cocktail and winces. Ugh, this tastes like piss. Then he takes another sip anyway. Bam! Kirk plops the converter down in front of Mags, and everyone goes quiet as they notice his battered state. No one says a word. He turns to go, but Maggie stops him and holds out tips. I forgot this. He takes the money and nods and nods a thanks. Just then, a Walter Payton jersey hanging above the bar catches his eye. He looks down at the money in his hand and then back up at the jersey. Exterior, Margie's tavern, back door moments later. Song fades out. Kirk slings the newly purchased Payton jersey over his shoulder as he picks up the cub and gimps out of the lot. Exterior, moments later. Kirk passes a grocery store. He stops and stares for a beat. Interior grocery store, moments later. A stoner teen clerk rings up a box of Kellogg's Raisin Bran. Two scoops. All right. <laughs> Exterior street moments later. <laughs> Raisin Bran under arm. Kirk walks down a street where a house is on fire. A small crowd watches from the road. Wonder how it started. I lit it. Bank wants a house so bad. <laughs> See how bad they want it now. <laughs> Kirk walks past without a second look and finally arrives at Exterior Sanderson compound night. Kirk walks down the drive to his mom's patio and leaves the Raisin Bran on the table. Interior Debbie's house, Taylor's room night. Kirk lovingly drapes the Peyton jersey over a sleeping Taylor, then eyes the farve on the dresser with a scowl. Interior Debbie's house, kitchen night. Kirk opens the fridge and grabs half a six-pack of genuine draft by the empty plastic rings. Exterior Kirk's Winnebago night. Kirk sits in a lawn chair and sips a beer. He's lit a small fire in a pit in front of the Winnebago. He tosses the Favre jersey onto the flames and watches it burn. A small victory on this day of many defeats. But the moment comes to a quick end when a rustle beside him gets his attention just in time to see Dennis <laughs> scamper off into the brush without the rest of his bruise. Such a dick. <laughs> he stares into the flames knowing it's all going to be a lot worse before it gets better on his way to rock bottom. <laughs> Woo! Um, do we need to take a break? Can we get right into it? Let's get into Let's it. Do Let's it. do it. Yeah. Um, Mark, what a delightful script. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I think the thing that makes it so special for me is that it's populated with all of these pretty richly drawn characters. And I think that can be really tough work to do, especially in a 30-page pilot. Yeah. So I would say you probably agree that this is like a very character-forward script, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so can you talk about sort of um, developing characters? And some might say a bit in lieu of plot. Yeah. Um, so basically, I mean, the, the story is this, like, the characters are the story. This is a real life type stuff. I mean, life doesn't happen in three acts in 30 minutes. Right. So it's just kind of like um, it, people who each bring their own thing to it, and uh, it's kind of like a family thing. So if you think of, like, a family, you know, I think we all have different family members who fill different roles, and, like, you have this uncle, this cousin's like this, and if it's, just, it's just a family built in, like, a town. So you just try to make people as rich and, like, diverse and different as, as they really are in real life. Yeah, when you first came in here, I had pitched you that this script to me sort of felt like dude where's my car meets deliverance. Um, but you, I think, very astutely observed that there's some shades of Atlanta in Yeah, this. it's more of a rust belt Atlanta. So basically, it's a story where you're just following these people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, like, this is one day. This guy wakes up, he goes to pick you know, his buddy's car, his buddy's converter gets stolen, they go to play hockey, his car gets stolen. Yeah. And he's just like, this is 24 hours in the, the day of the guy's life, you know? So it's just going through this town, meeting, you know, dealing with the, his wife, his kids, his friends, trying to find work and it's just a natural flow of life like a, you know so yeah it's kind of like that and it's just uh 
Yeah, it's just not, it's not gonna be you know it's not like I said it's not like the story driven like you know three act classic three act structure. It's just right. here's a slice of this you know this happens in my life this day. And some days some episodes would be like you know Kirk team with his wife and his kids more, or you know we each character would have heavier episodes as you, you know, switch around. Yeah, I th- slice of life stuff I think can be tough to write, and you've done a nice job with it here. But what do you think are some of the pitfalls of bad slice of life kind of TV or movies, and what do you think are some of the strengths of good slice of life TV and movies? Um, I th- well, I think it's just people. I think people you know, sometimes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I've never really thought about that. Um, I would think it's just natural stuff. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. natural stuff that happens, basically. And like, I think sometimes people slice of life where it's like there's, you know, it's pain as a slice of life, but they're really just trying to say one thing. It's just like one message into it, as opposed to just like just the meandering of like, yeah, you know. Stubbing your toe, you know, shit going on. I see. So, like, theme, you think, has to be sort of a really yeah, important I th- yeah, part. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, related to that, do you have any experience in this world? Like, I'm not sure where you grew up, but... No, no. I grew up uh, just outside Chicago, like a mile outside the city border. Um, so, I mean, I'm from, you know, the area. I actually... I did. A, I was doing location scouting on a movie called The Lucky Ones, like, 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. In Rockford with Rachel McAdams and Michael Pena and yep. Tim Robbins. And it's where I initially got the idea for it. Like, um... It's interesting because it, the, the town itself, you know, is this, you know these mighty manufacturing towns. It's had, it's still this, you know the, the masonry and the, the grandeur of these big, strong buildings and stuff like that, juxtaposed with like you know kind of you know rundown stuff and factories closed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So t- the idea kind of took sh- a shape there. Just made, you know, interesting to me is like you know you know how place how somewhere like you know just could go from all that to you know. Every other house is boarded up, kind of deal. Right. It's one of those cliche things, but the town itself is a character. In the yeah, show it is. A yeah, bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to teach um, in a low income district in um, the southeastern parts of Ohio, mm-hmm. in a town called Middletown, Ohio, yeah. where Amco Steel yeah. was like the booming like lifeblood of the town until it shut down in the 90s. It was the largest steel plant in America. That's gone. Yeah, and it's ju- it is weird because you have the echoes of yeah, yeah, like you said, what was once this booming industrial town, but now it's a ghost town, yeah. and you can feel the ghosts of the strength of its past. But I think it's a world that is very, very interesting, um, and I think the risk you run when you approach like drawing a world like this is you know getting into stereotype. Yeah. And how do you how did you approach that going into this? Uh, I just try to make everybody. Uh, just real people, I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think you have Daryl, you know, he's like, you know, he might be more of a stereotype, but he's out there. So, you know, he's real. Right. And then you have, you know, guys like Barry and Gary who just, you know, just want to have some beers and have fun. Right. You know, I, I, I think in our world now, everyone's, there's a lot of ideological, identity politic type stuff where everyone is just, you're just this one thing and that's all you are. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's just not that simple at all. Right. Um, you know, the people who live there, the people, you know. You know, people who used to, people who voted for Obama voted for Trump in these towns. Right, yeah, some of them. You know, and it's just like, as much as you like to say, like you know, oh, it's just you know, that's a big change. So it's just like you you like to plug them in as the, the, the someone that they do it for the worst reasons, but sometimes they don't. You know, like these towns used to be. Um, it was, it was backbones of the Democratic Party. You got union mm-hmm. people voting for Republicans. How does this happen? Hmm. You know, and uh, an interesting thing when I was researching it, you know, there's a picture of JFK going through downtown Rockford in 1960. And this time around, like Hillary didn't go to Wisconsin. She didn't spend that much time in Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania. That would used to be the base of that party. And now it's kind of gone. And, you know, it cost them a little bit. So it's just like, Let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at you know, what's going on with some of these people. Yeah. And it's, some of these people are pieces of shit. Some of these people are just normal people trying to live their lives. And right. you, I mean, it's easy to lump them in. It's, you know, it's kind of garbage stuff, but a lot of them aren't. So. Yeah. And it's, 
Yeah, I don't know. Just take a look. I mean, basically take a look at that. Which I haven't seen too much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of one-sided conversation right now. Well, yeah, it's kind of one of the reasons, I think, where uh, the Roseanne show is coming back. Yeah. And Roseanne chose to... Roseanne voted for Trump, which I didn't realize. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. In real life. In real life. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and so she chose to have her character also vote for Trump and, and have that be a conversation that do, that her yeah. children deal with. And I was like, that's fair because I think sometimes we you know as a, a liberal but I'm also from the south but I'm also black so there's like all various different levels that I encounter um, we don't always want to engage in conversation yeah. but that's kind of what we need to do is have these yeah. I think like, it's comfortable for people to assume the worst because yeah. that, that, that validates what you're thinking is yeah. it's like oh if you voted for Trump you're, you're, you're this and that's all you are I'm right and it's like mm-hmm. yeah, it, the world is not that black and white right yeah yeah, and I think it would have been unfair to this town if you had written everyone as morally perfect or morally no. bankrupt. Yeah. I think, like, if you're going to write a show about liberal elites and the characters are complicated and diverse, yeah. it would have been unfair for you to not do that in this world as well. Yeah, exactly. so, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I look at things like, uh, the micro, the macro, it's, 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 it's kind of like the family structure. It's like, it's society-wise, on your block wasn't always somebody, you know, there's everyone, all, all different personalities. There's someone... You know, the, the bossy mom, the, or the you know, the, you know, the jerk dad, or the you know, the, the nerdy kid, or the great athlete. It's like the, you know, out in society in general, wide. Same as like you know, in your class or on your block group as kids. You have everybody's in there, and people just aren't as you know. They're a lot more interesting than you know, the stock character stereotypes we we tend to you know, put you know, put on put down on paper a lot of times. Right. Um, do you? Um, so, I just lost my train of thought. But well, I, have I have a question. Uh, Speaking yeah, of characters, who did you find was the easiest to write, and who did you find was the hardest to write? Um, kind of like just in the train of thought of like trying to stay away from the stereotypicals, but making them true to hmm. people. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I, I think there are, I, I didn't have too many were too challenging. Okay. Uh, I, w- I wish I had more time with some of them, and like you will later, like uh, his wife and Margie and stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, to, to draw them out more. That that was the main thing. It's like who had page space for mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah. Uh, in, in other episodes, you know, you have you know Margie people who featured more than Andy's or something like that, mm-hmm. or Gary or Barry. So it just wasn't in this page uh, in this you know the day, the events of this day. So that's more challenging to me. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like I wish I had, yeah I wish I could. I had like way more pages and had to cut stuff. Of course, of course. Yeah, so I and remember no, my question. Unless someone else wants to jump in, but well, no one felt like a, a stereotype. Like yeah. I, then I, that's a credit because a lot of the times I think when we write about like Middle America or Southern uh, Southerners, if you're not part of that or you haven't experienced it, you just assume like, well, I'm just going to hit these points. But I mean, I know plenty. I definitely shot like a, a, a not a shotgun, but. Um, a BB gun, like at a Budweiser can in my youth. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's like a part of, of growing up. Yeah, I had buddies who went to, to school, Winona State or St. Mary's up in Winona, Minnesota, which is on the border, like Wisconsin and mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota up there. And like <laughs> they would go out, drink a case of beer in the woods, and shoot guns, yeah. <laughs> which is like the worst idea I've ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that actually just came from a real place. Yeah. You know, those people mm-hmm. living up there that, you know, kind of went hinterland of, you know, the upper mid- northern Midwest. Right. And it's the same in the south, too. Yeah. Yeah. So this tonally was pretty broad and funny, yeah. um, but I'm wondering if, like, with some of the themes you're exploring and your desire to really show us a round version of this world, yeah. if you would be exploring more dramatic components of their lives in the future. Uh, I think it would, but it, yeah, it, and, uh, yeah, it'd be tough, but it, it, always, it always have the humor. It's yeah. more of just, like... Um, uh, a dark humor where it's just like fuck it, God, you know, he's getting stuck all the time. You know, it's yeah. I, I, you know, it wouldn't be like heavy, heavy, super heavy drama, 
But yeah, be in there. And it's in, you know, but you still have the jokes and stuff like that. I want to get too broad. Like yeah. Atlanta. So Atlanta could be flexible. Like they could have something. Right. I don't think it would get as serious as some Atlanta episodes, but it would be like you'd have some stuff there. But they, you know, they, you make it, you make a joke. It's kind of a satire and joke of it along the way. Mm-hmm. Maybe Shameless as a reference. Yeah. Bit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yep. Any other questions for anyone else on the table? Um, you, this is the first time you've heard this read. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think so. I guess you do great. Thank, no, you. Thank, you. So Thank you. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not, you're fine. Yeah. Um, Andrew, uh, one of our uh, fellow actors, usually asks this question, but is having heard it read out loud for the first time, is there anything that you really loved or anything that you want to change? No, I liked it a lot. Um, I've, been, I've been pretty deep into it, and it kind of, you know, it kind of met my expectations of what I'm looking for, and nothing really jumped out as, oh, um, you know, I got to change. I got to work on that. Mm-hmm. I think it's good. You guys did a great job and really brought it to life. So, I mean, I'm very happy. So, yeah. which is always a good thing. Good. You yeah. know, as opposed to like, you know. Will we be exploring more of like this? Maybe we're eating people in this town <laughs> yeah. subplot. What the, oh, you know, <laughs> like later in the I, season. Yeah, I think you, you know what? Well, the Gooch is uh, the Gooch character. He's gonna be the he's he's like you know he's like a local mafia type yeah. guy, yeah. but he's also owns a butcher shop. Yeah. So you never know. The, the, that, that'll be a runner throughout the season. You it know, is I, interesting. Yeah, it <laughs> makes me want to see more. I mean, like it's there. It's sort of like there's limitless possibilities with this world because yeah. it's a little off center. It's just yeah, it's a little, little weird. It's a little I really, weird. I'm into the insurance agent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people yeah. love him. That's he's what, great. Yeah, because he's like a little bit of a misfit because everyone's a little like rougher and he's yeah. like a little nerdy. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah. <laughs> little square square yeah. peg in a round. Yeah. Yeah. I had to cut it out, but it was a big thing about how. Uh, He's from Kenosha, Wisconsin, across the border. Of course, they're up at the border there. And when he first apologizes, he's like, he's like, it's not your fault. You're not American. And it goes on. Kirk goes on this rant about how America ends at the Illinois border. Oh, nice. <laughs> he doesn't consider Wisconsin a part of America. Yeah. You know, but it was a little over the top with like the whole bear. I'm a big Bears fan, and I hate I hate the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate everything they represent. Oh, <laughs> I also love the relationship between Mags and Kirk. Are we going to see more of yeah. their like, yeah. weird, dysfunctional kind of yeah. relationship? I, I mean, liked it. Yeah, Mags is kind of the classic guy who's like, you know, it's kind of got that 70s vibe to him, which is you see a lot. Look, I remember if you, towns like this, are, you know, they're maybe 10 years behind the times a lot of times yeah. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, like, even, like, in the 90s, there's still, like, it's way Van Halen in there. Yeah. yeah. He's got the Rush t-shirt. So he's got that 70s vibe to him, but he's still kind of, like, you know, pent up, like, uh, you know, uh, Anger type guy, but yeah, he, he, yeah, he'd be there all the time. Is that why you chose to to? Because you use a lot of music throughout the script, is yeah. That, because it's set in the nineties, is that why you? Chose yeah, I mean, the, well, the songs fit. Um, but Panama is the name of the car. Mm-hmm. I have some. I, I took out some cues. I had some like original overkill from the time yeah, yeah. from that era. But I think it's a, fle- a flexible era, and uh, um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's basically yeah. you know, and Cheap Trick is from Rockford, so that's why. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's nice. what he says. That, that's yeah, cool. that's what he says. Like the, that they're the. Um, like the greatest rock poets ever roll off these streets. It's because they're from Rockford. Like they're, they're, they're the biggest fame to claim Rockford has. Mm-hmm. So cool. you still that, you know, you had like at the time you would have that, you know, grunge music, but you also, that 70s stuff was really still mm-hmm. uh, around in 95 for the, very every day in their yeah. lives. Yeah. I always feel like the, the fives, like 95, 2005, are like the turning points in yeah. the decades mm-hmm. where they kind of like finally come into their own. So yeah. you can still have a lot of that 80s. Yeah. Like, 
nostalgia or, or an 80s feel to it. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. You should write a book, Adrian. The yeah. fives. fives. I do. On the fives. It happens. Yeah. Watch a movie made in 2005 and then yeah. watch a movie made in 2007 and they're like completely Very different interesting. Um, really quick, I actually do want to ask you, um, you do have music cues in this song and I yeah. noticed that for those of you guys who are fans of the show, you'll know that we had Mark on episode two. A lot of music cues in that script too. Yeah. Um, why do you feel like music plays such an important part of your writing and what do you think music can do for I mean, it's just, I mean, it really tells a story. I mean, it's a scene. It's like it can be actually a dialogue. It tells exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying in that moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I've worked on shows and like it's like you get so jealous. Like we, we had no music budget, right? And then you watch some other show that have all the music budget in the world, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's you know it's just such a difference to be able to do that because yeah. emotionally it's like hey you can tell you can, you know here's how this character is feeling here's how you should be feeling just by what song is playing mm-hmm. and it's, it's 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 a great tool to use. I mean yeah. yeah. All music should be free. It's a wonderful but... universal language. Yes. Yeah. I don't think the artists agree with that. I know, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, not free, but I mean... Sometimes it's overkill. Like, sometimes it seems like, oh, they got... They definitely had the budget for yeah. every top song yeah. from yeah. this era. You get a little like, okay, we get yeah. it. Like, yeah. I mean, I it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't, of course they should be paid, but it's just like, it gets really... It's insanely expensive yeah. for some yeah. reason. It's, sure. it's, it's a lot. I um, think we have the, the courtesy in L.A. to think of it like that, but I know if I my, if my mom were watching something in Atlanta, she'd be like... Oh, I like that song. Oh, oh, yeah. that's nice that they. She wouldn't think like budgetary. Yeah, like, how much oh. do they pay for that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any references just for our listeners of maybe artists or writers or movies or shows that really use music well? Do you think, or it's okay if you don't? Oh, I just off the top of my head, I don't yeah. know. Um, you know, I'm gonna just jump in, give you time and think. Grey's Anatomy does yeah. it very well. Yeah, yeah Scrubs did it well. Yeah. Scrubs, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I agree with both those. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a part. I guess it needs to be a medical show. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah. The, well, ER didn't do it as well. No. 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 The magicians actually. I don't know if, if huh. anyone here watches it, but the magicians uses music really well. Some when they can get the, yeah. the budget for it. I, I like, not off the top of my head, but yeah, a lot of times like on HBO, even just being on like HBO, yeah, yeah. we own the black. We yeah. can end the. You can end this. You know, so basically, if the song you, you end, you end with the song, yes. and it plays out the entire time. Yeah. yeah, that's that. That's a great tool too. It's, it's powerful. Powerful as True opposed to like actually. Yeah. Really good about yeah. that. It's not the best. Yeah. I mean, it hates, yeah. I mean, it hates entourage. Well, I mean, it was though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but it's like yeah, HBO it's, in general. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Really, that really, I mean, that really puts a button on a, uh, an episode a lot of times. Mm-hmm. That if you're on, like, say, a USA, it's commercials. Yeah. The little boxes right there in the commercials. There yeah. Right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And for those watching the show who are fans of music and television, let us know your iconic music moments in either movie or TVs. You can tweet at us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, anything else for us before we kind of make our way No, out? I just want to say thanks again for having me in. You guys yeah. did a great job. Thank I really you. appreciate Thank it. You for it really helps. It's great. It's fun. It's Yeah, it's a show I haven't seen, and I got to say, especially after having read it, I really want to see episode two. So yeah. um, we wish you the best. And that being said, if folks want to reach you or snatch this thing up, where can they? Oh, uh, markbluck at gmail.com. Perfect. Uh, Love it. We have had people reach out at email, so that, okay. that's good. Um, and guys, my name is Jeff. If you want to find me online, you can do that at Jeffrey C. Graham. Um, thanks for tuning in, guys. We're a weekly show. This was a 10 a.m. episode because we're reading a pilot, but we have a feature next week, actually, guys. Um, it's a very, very strange and wonderful, funny script called Cuttlefish. Um, and it's uh, pretty female-driven, so definitely want you to tune into that. In the meantime, guys, I'm Jeff. If you want to find me online, you can do that on Twitter at Jeffrey C. Graham. How about the rest of you guys? Awesome. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I am Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. I'm Roxy Stryer. You can find me at Roxy Stryer. 
I'm Adrian Snow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrian Snow. I am Haley O'Connor on Twitter as Haley O'Connor. I am Hudson Miller, and I have zero social media. So <laughs> you won't find me anywhere. And real quick, guys, I do want to make a show recommendation. I forgot, but I think it's important. We read a script called Grafton maybe four months ago that also follows a group of goofy blue-collar guys. And I think if you like this script, you should definitely check out that one as well. In the meantime, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week here on the Unproduced Table Read. Hi, guys. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.